All right, Psalm 107 this morning, Psalm 107. If you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Psalms, and here we find ourselves, I think we've been doing this for about a year and a half, uh, going through from Psalm 1. We're going to go all the way through Psalm 150, and we find ourselves in Psalm 107. So let's go ahead and open in prayer and see what God has for us. Father, we, we thank you for this morning, and Lord, we do just thank you for the freedoms we still joy, enjoy in this it's crazy in this crazy world, Lord. We see what's happening in Christianity to Christians, to our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Sudan and Iran and China. We see what's taking place even here in America, Lord, the persecution that is rising. And so, Father, we thank you that we can still gather, we can still carry our Bibles, we can still pray and sing, and we don't know how long this is going to last, but we thank you for that. And we just pray for wisdom and discernment as we go down this road. That you would just give us focus, you'd give us understanding, uh, that you would be glorified in and through your word this morning. Father, individually, I know in this room, there's all kinds of needs, physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual need is the most important. We all need to be more like Jesus. And Father, I thank you that you're an intimate God, and that you know that need. And Lord, I just pray for for any saint in this room right now that is doubting that, that is questioning that, that is wondering about that, Lord, I just pray that you would confirm in their heart, even right now, that you know what that need is. And that you have a plan, and you have a purpose, and you work all things together for the good. So you just encourage them, even right now at this very moment. And Father, I pray for the gift of teaching, Again, that you'll be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're now in book five of the Jewish hymnal book known as the book of Psalms. And in book five is Psalm 107 to 150. And these Psalms were mostly compiled or or brought together during the time of Ezra the priest. And you can look at this in Ezra 7, 1 through 10. And Ezra lived... In 450 BC, just a, I'd like to round things. I'd like to pick a number, makes it easier to remember for calculating purposes. So, 450 BC, and just like Book Four, the Book of the Psalms of Book Five were written in various times and by different authors. And King David, being one of the main ones, writing 15 of these last 40. Four songs. Now, he may have written more, but his name is not attached to them, so we don't know who wrote those. But at least, at least 15. And we find some unique contributions to this final hymnal book. One is the songs of degrees or ascents. And we'll get to those in Psalm 120 to 134. And we'll explain these as we get there. The Alleluia Psalms. Psalm 146 to 150, as well as the Hallel Psalms or the Psalms of Praise recited at the Passover, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. Jesus would have certainly sung these songs, these Psalms, with his disciples as he celebrated his final earthly Passover. So as we finish up the Psalms, we're going to be learning more about the Jewish way of life as well as how these Psalms can impact our lives in Christ today. So Psalm 107, as we look at Psalm 107, it describes the pain and agony that anyone could go through, but specifically what the Israels went through in their captivity. And as they were heading back to Jerusalem, it was dangerous. It was hundreds and hundreds of miles donkey, by foot. It was long and hard, but in the mind of the Jew, it was worth it to once again see their homeland. And as we think about this, you know, 70 years have transpired of chastening. So many of these Jews had never been to Jerusalem. This is going to be their first trip. There's great anticipation. So for them, it was important to learn by observation, observation, and that's why we're going over these psalms, even for our lives today. You see, why did we have to come to Babylon? Say you're in your teens or your 30s, you were born in Babylon, 
You have heard the stories. And so now you want to learn through observation and ask a simple question. Why did we have to come to Babylon? And how can we avoid, I'm going back now, my family's going back, or maybe I'm the only one in my family going back. How can we avoid that same scenario in the future? The same scenario. And this is very important for you and I as Christians today. As we read over this psalm, some of us have made mistakes. Hopefully you've learned from that mistake. But some people keep making the same mistake. And it's like, why would you do that? Well, unfortunately, well, we'll, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. We'll figure it out here. So Psalm 107. Psalm 107, the first three verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And gathered out of the lands, notice this, gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. The psalmist is recalling the wonderful event of leaving Babylon. And not just Babylon, but every direction that the Jews were exiled to. You see, there is excitement in the air as the fulfillment of Scripture as the fulfillment of Scripture has taken place. And I encourage you to read from Genesis to Revelation. Because Jesus said, as well as many of the prophets, but Jesus specifically said, it will be. Not it might be. I hope it doesn't. I don't know. I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe something will happen. No, he said it will be as it was in the days of Noah. It will be. In other words, a guarantee. And he said, it will be as in the days of Lot. Right before his return. A guaranteed promise. So it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse prior to the Lord's return. And that's good news because that just, sh- that, okay, God, you're close. Jesus is close. Thank you, God. This is really, it's a bummer what's happening, but that just means you're going to fulfill your word, and he will fulfill his word. He always has, he always will. You see, they had personally again witnessed Jeremiah's prophecy come to pass, and now after 70 long and hard years, the nation of Israel is heading home. You see, God is merciful God who never forgets his word. The redeemed of, in verse 2 there, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those three Hebrew words there, the redeemed of, it means to buy back the kinsman redeemer to ransom. You see, God promised Israel the land of Canaan. And so he redeems his people from Babylon and the other surrounding nations and guides them back to the very land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob hundreds of years earlier. Let the redeemed give thanks. If you have Jesus as your Savior, you are a saint. You are redeemed. You have been bought with a precious price. Acts twenty twenty eight. It's through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You have been redeemed. You are not your own. We like to think that we own ourselves. I'm the boss of my life. Even as we read the word and as we sing certain songs, we have to remember, no, I've been bought. I have a Lord. I have a master. I am the servant. I'm not the master of my life. He is the master of my life. And I am blessed to be able to call, be called a servant. So let the redeemed give thanks. Let the redeemed acknowledge that God is good. But we've been in Babylon for 70 plus years. My parents died in Babylon. My grandparents died in Babylon. My siblings died in Babylon. What God is good, God is good. You've been redeemed. Let the redeemed proclaim that our God is a merciful God. In your workplace this week, be careful that you don't get caught up in the politics of what is going on. 
It's horrendous what's going on in our country. But you're not a politician. You're an ambassador for Christ, just like me. I'm not a politician. I'm an ambassador for Christ. And yes, I can talk about it, and I do talk about it, but I'm careful that I don't get caught up into it where bitterness starts welling up in my heart or anger or frustration, and I forget what I'm supposed to be doing that Romans tells me to do. Pray in Romans 13. Pray for those who are in authority. That's my bottom line call as a believer is to pray for those who are in authority. Vote, which we did early and we will do again. Do all of that. Be responsible. But also know that it's more important in your workplace that they see that you are a true believer and that you truly believe that God is merciful and that God has a plan for your life and other people's lives. Because they're not hearing that on Fox News, on CNN. They're not hearing that on the networks. You know that and I know that. So you may be the only one who might speak into their life this week. I mean, think about that. You may be the only one this whole week that has the opportunity to tell somebody that God loves you, that God loves you, that God loves me, that God is a merciful God, a compassionate God, a just God, that God is just. You and I, guys, we might be the only... Isn't that incredible? That's an incredible responsibility. So keep that in the forefront of your minds as you go through this week. Because the psalmist goes on to say, They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That verse is going to be repeated several times through this psalm. Oh, that men or mankind, men and women, would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. Notice that, for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing soul, he fills the hungry soul with goodness. You see, the way was hard, and Ezra accepted no help from the Babylonian government. And Ezra proclaimed God's ability to protect and provide. So they left Babylon with their own resources. Now, when you study Nehemiah, as the ladies are going through the book of Nehemiah on Tuesday evenings, Nehemiah did just the opposite. You see, the king asked Nehemiah, do you need anything? And Nehemiah prayed and said, "Ah, uh, yeah, yes, that would be wonderful. And Nehemiah took whatever the king of Babylon wanted to give him. Nehemiah took it including letters when he got back to Jerusalem that everyone in the area was supposed to provide for him and for the temple, for the rebuilding. Well, the temple is already being established, but for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And he went back to Israel with a tremendous amount of government assistance. You see, Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries. They both had different callings, yet they had one purpose, to see Jerusalem reestablished. God provided for them both in different ways. And here the psalmist points out the way of the, that first exodus back to Israel. And in verses 8 and 9, again, it's going to be repeated several times, it reflects God's deliverance through various vignettes or scenarios. And here is the first one, deliverance from Babylon. Deliverance from Babylon. You see in verse 9, goodness. And in verse 8, for his goodness, God is good no matter what. Whether it's in good times or bad times, God's goodness doesn't change based upon feelings or emotions. And when we're having a great day, it is a whole lot easier to see his goodness. But the fact of the matter is, when we're having a bad day or a really bad day, week, month, year, God is still good. And the Jews have had a lot of bad days, and now they're heading home. Hey, God is good. But it's still going to be very hard when they get home. And as you read the accounts, you come to realize that it was going to get very, very hard. But in good times 
or bad times, God satisfies the hungry soul. So let's leave that slide up there for a minute or two. Verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul. Oh, to see Jerusalem. I'm tired of Babylon. I'm tired of Assyria. I'm tired of Assyrians. I'm tired of Egypt. I want to go home. I want to go back to my homeland. There's that, that longing for the temple. He satisfies, it means to be fulfilled, to have one's desire satisfied. To be fulfilled, to have one's desires satisfied. You see, the soul of those inner thoughts of the mind, the soul it, it are those inner thoughts of the mind. It's the emotions and passions that drive us. Hopefully, as a believer, your passions have changed. I think probably most of us can probably identify with when we were unbelievers, unless you received the Lord at a very young age. If you were an unbeliever, on Sunday, you were planning the next week's party. It was a great weekend. Had fun Friday night. Had fun Saturday night. Sunday, oh, I got school. I got work. Oh, I can't wait till. And you're already in your mind plotting, thinking about the next party, the next adventure, the next whatever it might be. Hopefully, as a believer, you still have that same mode, but now it's towards heaven. Oh, man, what does this week hold? How is God going to use me this week? How is God going to comfort me with this week? How can I comfort someone else this week? And now you should be planning out the week in your mind. How could God use me? How could God use me? Not what can I get out of this world. How can God use me? How could I bless someone? within my own family or in the workplace. You see, our soul and its desires will one day cross that bridge into eternity. And those things that are not godly, that are still a part of my soul, will be left here upon this earth because there's a no-carry-on policy in heaven. There's a no-carry-on policy. And we can thank God for that. Well, in verses 10 through 16, here's the second vignette or picture of suffering. You see, Babylon was a prison for the disobedient Hebrews. And they needed to be chastened. And so God used King Nebuchadnezzar as well as other kings. But King Nebuchadnezzar specifically to start that chastening process. So verses 10 through 16. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death... Bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God. Notice that. So important. Because they rebelled. You and I cause our own problems many times because we rebel against the simple word of God. You know, some things we don't have to pray about at all. It's in the Bible, it's right and wrong, it's quite obvious, so we don't have to say, well, I'm going to pray about that. There's nothing to pray about. It's wrong, it's sin, don't do it. But yet we can find ourselves taking on that mentality, well, I don't know, it's kind of gray. No, in your mind, you've allowed it to become gray because the Bible is very black and white. And so we rebel. It's, it's just a minor rebellion. We might not think much of it until we find ourselves captivated by the enemy and held captive by him. In verse 11 there, and despised, despised the counsel of God. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Now here again, verse 8 and verse 15. Oh, that mankind, men and women, would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze, and bronze is symbolic of judgment in the Bible, and cut the bars of iron in two. 
Seventy years have come and gone, and the feeling of being in prison was real. There was no way out except through repentance and turning to God. Why is it that saints, which would include me as a saint, why is it that saints wait so long at times to return to the Lord? Why is that? There's various answers, but you just think about that and, and pray about that maybe in your own life this week. Why is it that I, that make it very personal, as I ask a very broad question, make it personal this week. And even just ask yourself, why is it that I wait so long sometimes to return to the Lord? And you might not be doing anything super vile, super sinful, but yet you still have an attitude of rebellion, whatever that might be. And you know it even sitting there right now. You might go, uh, he's talking to me. Did somebody tell him about me? No, no. People will come up after the surface sometimes and say that. No, I'm not, I didn't do this for you. I don't have that much brain power. It's just the Holy Spirit's trying to maybe teach you something even here this morning. Maybe you're in rebellion. You see, it's so much better to just follow the Lord in simplicity and truth. Because God allowed them. God allowed them to be brought to Babylon. And now God is going to allow them to return to Jerusalem. If we want to go to the world, God will allow us to do that. It will grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But He will allow us. Because we have free will. But we will also reap what we sow. And it's not that God ever left us or forsook us, because that's impossible. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And God was always there, and God will always be there. But for you and I, again, just, just make it easy on yourself and those around you. Repent quickly. You see, God had broken their chains, and they were now free to go home. The lesson to be learned for you and me is continuing in sin will make a person become a prisoner even when there are no visible chains. And guys, I see this even in our own church. So we all have to be careful, including myself. We all have to be careful of the tactics of the enemy and how he entices us and tries to get us to do something that we shouldn't do. And then, oh, we made a mistake. I'll never do that again. But then we do it and then we do it and we do it and do it and do it and do it more and more and more and more and more. Before we know it, bam, serious trouble. Be very, very careful. We all need to be very, very careful Jesus came to set us free, and whoever knows Jesus personally can be set free from any sin that may have been, that they may have been held captive to. And so maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you have a very serious issue, and no one else knows about it, you know about it, and you haven't told anybody, and maybe you're even wondering, can God really set me free? Does God really understand? And I want to let you know right now, in the privacy of your own heart, the answer is yes. Yes, through the word of God, through prayer, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, any one of us can be set free of any captive sin if we surrender. If we surrender. Grace is always there. Repentance is always there. Matter of fact, in Timothy, it says that God grants repentance that we may recover ourselves out of the snare of the devil. The question is not God. So please eliminate that from your mind. It is not God's ability. It's our ability to admit we have a problem and surrender that area. And then you will see and you will find out and that will become part of your testimony that yes, God can truly set me free from anything So when you cross paths with that other person that doesn't know God or that knows God and they're being held by captive by something, you can tell them it happened in my life and it can happen in your life. And now you have that personal testimony to share with someone else to encourage and strengthen them. John 8.36 says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So come out of the darkness, step into the light, 
and allow the Holy Spirit to comfort you and strengthen you. Verses 17 through 22. Again, the key verse is is in verse 20. You see, God sent his word. God fulfilled his word. That means God will continue to accomplish his word. That's really important for you and me even this morning. As we're reading something that was maybe written 2,500 years ago. Again, wow, these are so old. They're still applicable today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So God sent his word. God fulfilled his word. Not totally yet. Obviously, Jesus hasn't come back. But that's what the last part says here. That means God will continue to accomplish his word. And again, I say this on a regular basis, but you may be newer visiting. Have we seen that happen in our lifetimes? 1948, Israel becoming a nation, prophesied in the word of God. 1967, Jerusalem, once again becoming the capital of Israel in 1967. Not by any American president that said it's the capital. It's been the capital since 1967 of Israel, whether man recognizes it or not. So since 1967, that's impossible. No, it's the word of God. It's the word of God. Is Jesus coming back? A majority of the a majority of the church guys will not teach the rapture or the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because they don't even believe it. They don't read their Bibles. I, I don't even know why they go to church. It makes no sense to me to go to church and not believe in the Bible. That makes absolutely no sense to me. Why, you know, let's go out to breakfast and at least enjoy a breakfast. Why bother going to a building and listening to somebody talk about something that we don't even believe in? What a waste of time. But that's not why you're here. You believe the word of God. So be encouraged and strengthened and don't stop believing because it is true. And others need to hear that in your workplace, in your family members, in your neighbors. They need to know that God's word will be accomplished. You see, he delivered them from their destructions, we're going to see in these verses. And I find that interesting because if I was left to myself, if I didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, I'm just speaking myself, not you. If I wasn't seeking after more of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct my life, I would self-destruct. I don't know about you. Just talking about me. I would self-destruct. That's just my nature. I was born with that sinful nature. So we need to know Jesus as our Savior. If you're here this morning and you do not have Jesus as your Savior, you may have been going, coming to church for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. You need Jesus this morning. You need to accept Him, receive Him as your Savior this morning. Verses 17 through 22. Fools. Because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food. They drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them. And delivered them from their destructions. Notice that God did deliver. And again, verse 21, the same as eight in verse 15. Oh, that mankind would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. You see these different scenarios and vignettes and what's the bottom line? What does the psalmist say? Give thanks already, would you? Remember what's happened in our lives, in our history, in the history of Israel and give thanks. He keeps delivering. When we turn to him, he always delivers. Oh, that mankind would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works of the children of men. 22, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. You see, God didn't destroy his people. His people destroyed themselves. Let that sink in. God was merciful the whole time. 
and brought another kingdom along to preserve them, or they probably would have wiped themselves out altogether. And when you think about that, there should be a natural flow of praise. Even though they didn't have the temple for 70 years, they could still offer a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. So again, the third picture here, the the third vignette is a picture of our sinful nature. Give God thanks and praise. Verses 23 through 32, here's the fourth vignette or picture that describes God's goodness to those who live off of the sea. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind. He lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Again, verse 33, the same as 21, 15, and 8. Because of this scenario, oh, that mankind would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. For you and me, notice that verse 32 there, as we go through our trials, you know, most of you know, maybe there's someone new here, a few years ago my wife was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer and went through a lot, and praise God she's cancer free today. But anytime she has pain, especially if it's serious pain, somewhere in her body that she hasn't had before, the enemy is right there to whisper in her ear, it's cancer. It's cancer. It's back. You've got cancer. And this just isn't Claudia. We've spoken to many people who have had cancer, and that's that's just the enemy. That's just the natural effect. It's not like breaking your arm. Oh, I got an arm and my arm hurts. I must have broke my arm again when you know you didn't. Cancer is a unique animal. And so, you know, we've been in prayer about that and, and gone through and she went through a bunch of tests this week and scans and, and praise God, everything came back negative and they really don't know what's going on, but something's going on. Yeah, praise God. But we all have those trials and tribulations and our ultimate Arrival is heaven, but until we get there, we want to be delivered of these things. And sometimes we are, sometimes we're not. Does that change the goodness of the Lord? Does that change the fact that we should exalt him for who he is? Not at all. Praise God. Let them exalt him. So for you and for me, let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people. When you come to church, let somebody know what God has done for you this past week or month. So so you're not up here. You guys know each other. You know the six or eight people around you. Some of you get up and move. Some of you don't. Hopefully you know at least the six or eight people around you. Go around them on a Sunday morning when we have that meet and greet. Say, do you know what God did for me this week? Man, God just, God took care of me. Do you think they're going to say, please, I don't want to hear that right now. I'm reading my bulletin. (laughs) Do you think they're going to say that? They're going to go, really? God did that this week for you? Guys, that's our testimony. We should be able to do that on a Sunday morning with one another. But are we willing to do that? Because maybe we haven't seen how God has done something this past week because we've been too busy to give God the time of day. It's important for all of us to realize God has a plan and a purpose. Even with people that are sitting around you, they need to be encouraged. And strengthen. You see, when you're in the middle of the ocean, sea, or even a large lake, during a storm, you feel absolutely helpless. And here the psalmist says that the Lord calls for a storm. 
and is so tremendous, so overwhelming, the Lord calls for the storm. That the sailors feel like their lives are over, they're at their wit's end. But they cried out to the Lord, and he delivered them from the storm. He didn't take them out of the storm, he calmed the storm and brings them to their desired haven, or what we would call destination. You see, as the Israelites were cruising along through life, the Lord had to send a storm to wake them up. Could this be for you or I as a believer as well? As we're cruising down this road of life, enjoying the benefits of a great economy, Have we forgotten our daily devotion? Have we forgotten our marriage? Have we put the kids in second or third or fourth or fifth place? Have we have we forsaken the assembling at a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study because hey, everything's great, everything's fine. I don't need I come on Sunday morning, that's enough for me. Everything's great. And then all of a sudden when the carpet's pulled out from underneath people, it's amazing how they show up sometimes been coming to the church for years hey great to see you what's going on and all of a sudden you hear their story i just need to be around guys i just need another bible study god's really showing me i got to get involved with a home fellowship group or or whatever it might be that's why we have all of these various things guys not just for social although that's good and social things happen but so that you can get plugged into a home fellowship group that you can meet other people who are seeking after god and that you're not alone in your trials or tribulations you see, they, de- they despaired even of life while in Babylon, yet God didn't forsake them, but calmed the waves of emotions that were overtaking them and brought them back to Jerusalem, their desired destination. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And maybe you're here this morning and you're going through your own type of storm. Maybe it's a relationship storm, an employment storm, an emotional or, or illness storm, a financial storm. The waves seem to be crashing in upon you and, and you feel overwhelmed like you're going to drown. You know, according to the word of God, he has his hand upon you, under you, around you, guiding you. He's following after you. He is there. Call out to him and allow him to calm the storm. You see, he will calm the storm. And he will also bring you to your desired haven. What is your desired haven? What is our desired haven? Having the peace of God. At the end of the day, yes, maybe we need a new home or a new car or a new whatever. But really, at the end of the day, God, give me peace about this decision I'm going to make about this car or house or mate or whatever it might be. It's ultimately the peace of God. That's what I need at the end, beginning, the middle of every day. I need the peace of God. How do I get it? By seeking after him. Let's look at Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. Many of you probably had this on your minds as we were even reading that. It says, on the same day when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when Jesus says, let us cross over to the other side, you're going to get to the other side. Just listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what the Bible says and trust in the word of God. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took Jesus along in the boat as he was and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. They're on the Sea of Galilee. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. So you could imagine the disciples and some of them very seasoned fishermen. Water's getting into the boat. Guys, is this good? There's water coming in the boat. This is not good. Start bailing. Cup your hands. Start shoveling it out somehow. But Jesus was in the stern asleep on a pillow. God sleeping. It's amazing here. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus, we're going to die here. Could you wake up? It's not time to sleep right now. And maybe in your life, you're having maybe some of these thoughts right now. Where's God? 
He must be asleep. He doesn't really care. Then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. What do we want in our lives? Through our decisions? We want the peace of God. How do we get it? By being in the word, by praying, by fellowshipping and hearing other people's testimonies of the goodness of the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Oh, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Notice that. And Jesus said to them, Why are you so fearful? (laughs) I don't know. It's just a storm and water was coming into the boat. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, we're real. We're humans. Of course we're going to be fearful. But Jesus is just reminding them, Who's with you? Didn't I say we're going to get to the other side? When I say we're going to get to the other side, we're going to get to the other side. How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? It's called He is God. And in your life and in my life, Jesus is God. Let's let him have that throne. Back in Psalm 107 verses 33 through 42, You see, in looking back, the psalmist was able to see the reality of the nation's poor choices at following after false gods. He turns rivers into into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground. A fruitful land into barrenness and the wickedness of those who dwell in it. For the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs, which we'll probably see in a few days. (laughs) There he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. Very, very important here. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes He causes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there's no way. Yet he sets the poor on high far from affliction. And makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice. And all iniquity stops at its mouth. You see, they went from having much to having little. The Israelites. They went from blessings to curses. You see, sin slowly brought them down. And the psalmist was wise enough to see it, admit it, and then proclaim it. Which leads to this observation in verse 43. Whoever is wise will observe these things. So for you and me, again, we need to be reading from Genesis to Revelation. So as we read the whole counsel of God and we're wondering, should I make this decision? You will most likely find a scenario in the Bible that's already been printed thousands of years ago that says, don't make that decision. Don't make that choice. But when we're not in the word, we make the choice and then we wonder, why didn't God tell me? Why didn't God talk to me? Why didn't somebody warn me? No, we have to be responsible. Whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Learn from other people's mistakes because God loves us and will protect us. You see, part of Lord's loving kindness is to give his children guidelines so that they don't get hurt. For all of us, especially for you young people, please Take note of that. Because it can seem like God is the cosmic killjoy. And he just wants to take away all my fun. No, he wants to bless you. And he wants to keep you safe. Because fun is not fun sometimes. The children of Israel ignored those guidelines and it cost them everything. We need to be careful and learn from their mistakes. Stay within the guidelines of God's word. It's there for our own protection. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 6, the NLT. I just encourage you to sit there and, and listen to these verses here. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, New Living Translation. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Now, obviously, we have to work next to unbelievers. We have to drive next to unbelievers. We have to live next to unbelievers. This is don't make a commitment Don't team up with unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? 
What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So the exhortation then, therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So we have to guard. Again, we have to work next to unbelievers, live next to unbelievers. But be very, very careful how you associate yourself with unbelievers. Be very, very careful because you might just find yourself doing those things that you didn't want to do. But they influence you to that point of doing them. Be very, very careful. Psalm 108. It's a song, a psalm of David. And basically, David copied the first five verses of this psalm by taking them from Psalm 57, 7 through 11. And he copied the last eight verses from Psalm 60, 5 through 12. So David borrowed and combined two old songs to write a new one. So we're just going to blow through this really fast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above the earth. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. The word steadfast there in verse 1 is established. It means to be fastened. David gives praise to God not only in front of his fellow Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. God was not ashamed to share with, uh, David was not ashamed to share with others God's goodness to him because David had experienced firsthand God's mercy and he also knew that God's word is full of all truth and would never fail him. Verses 6 through 9, that your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Over Philistia I will triumph. Who will bring me into the strong city? David asked, who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who has cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Very, very important as David closes this prayer here by proclaiming that it is only God, by God's help that he will survive. Man's help is very limited, but God's help has no limits. So verse 10, who will bring me out into the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly. Valiantly there, that word valiantly means strength, ability, force. For us today as believers, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will give us strength to fight the battle. For it is he, as he closes up the psalm here, for it is God who shall tread down our enemies. And that is a great exhortation for you and me as well. As we surrender, it is God who takes down our enemies. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that we can read your word and we can learn from these pictures, all these different vignettes, these different stories that are still true to this day. So, Father, give us strength to trust in you, even as we sang in the very beginning, that we would surrender our lives to you and your ways. You're the the way, your son is the way, the truth, and the life. Why would we seek after anything else? But yet we can find ourselves doing it. 
So, Father, waken us, even this morning, those of us who need to be awakened, those who need to be shook, shake us up. We know you'll do it in love, but shake us up. Wake us up, Father. We want to be more like your son. Lord, for those who have been strong, we we don't ever want to rely upon our own strength. We just ask for more of your Holy Spirit. As we go out into our workforce this week, Fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to remember that we might be the only light source. We might be the only Bible-believing Christian in their life this week. Help us, Father, to take that serious, to love them, encourage them, rebuke them if necessary, but to point them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. Have a great week and go out and serve Jesus. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you do not have Jesus as your Savior, please come up and receive Jesus as your Savior this morning. God bless you guys. Have a great, great day. And we'll see some of you Saturday morning if it works for you.